Today's episode is sort of a special bonus episode. We're going to do one live with none other than Yanny Boy. And we're going to make a holiday shopping guide for game devs. Yeah, and welcome back to uh, the bonus episode. How have you been? I've been good. Thanks for having me. Uh, the last time can't have been too terrible if you're having me back again. <laughs> oh, no. Everybody, uh, well... I'll leave out the comments what everyone said, but <laughs> <laughs> no, everybody really enjoyed having you on the show. Um, it's really nice to have someone I can go back to, especially around the Christmas time. Uh, someone who I know knows a lot about buying assets and all sorts of gadgets, maybe even more than me. Speaking of which, today Yan and I are going to be creating a holiday gift shopping guide. It might be a little late, but I think there are still some deals you can pick up before Christmas. Um, these are things that I think can help anyone who's a game dev. Maybe you're buying gifts for yourself or buying gifts for others uh, in the game dev world. These are things that I think are really good value for the money. So yeah, I asked Yan to come up with a list. I came up with a list and... We're just going to kind of talk about them off the cuff today, and yeah, I hope you leave here with some ideas. I'm going to start, actually, with some hardware things. Now, Yen, did you have any hardware things on your list? I haven't thought of any hardware things, no. Okay, I have I have three hardware things that I think um, can help game devs, and then I just want to hear your opinion on them. Sounds good. So... My my goal with these hardware things were things that increase productivity. And number one was a nice keyboard and mouse. I When I first set up my little game dev thing, I was in college and I was really broke. And I had like the worst keyboard and mouse, like buttons were not working. You know how you have like two enter buttons, well, or two shift buttons rather. The one on the left didn't work, like it was oh. broken. So <laughs> I would always hold the shift on the on the right side. And yeah, I did a lot of game dev in that style and it just really slew, slew me down. Although at the time I didn't know very much about game dev anyway, so I was going slow already. But I would say your first big investment, I don't think you can beat a good keyboard and mouse and they're not that expensive to go find one that, you know, helps you work to your full potential, I think. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, I mean, being comfortable, I mean, doing game dev, you're going to be sat at a desk working for many, many hours, maybe not all in one go, but like being comfortable in your work environment is a big deal. For example, I've bought the same keyboard three times now, um, and it's actually made by Microsoft, but it's like a, um, it's not quite a full ergonomic keyboard, but the um, the keys either side of G and H are kind of separated and angled slightly so that as you're mm. typing, your wrists yeah. are in a comfortable position. And um, Yeah, I've seen those. And you just need to be really, you know, just take care of yourself. I mean, whatever works for you works for you at the end of the day. But right. like putting a little bit of time and effort into something that gives you just a comfortable working environment that works well, it, it makes a big difference. You said you bought the same keyboard three times in a row. I've bought the same mouse twice now, and it lasts pretty long. What it, I like the uh, Logitech G502 Hero. Mm, yeah. That's like, I, I think it's a gaming mouse, but it comes with lots of extra buttons. It really helps when I'm 3D modeling, because um, you know some of the hotkeys are weird. I just bind them to the extra buttons on the yeah, mouse. I mean, my, my thing is more, I, I've not got a specific mouse that I like. In fact, my main mouse is like a little bit of a, a racing car mouse that my, my mother bought me 10 years ago. <laughs> even like even like the, the headlights light up, which 
Uh, <laughs> actually, when I was in, in uh, university or, you know, American version of college, um, I, uh, I had a, a roommate who took a, a marker pen and colored in the lights of my mouse because at night the light from my, key, from my mouse was annoying him. <laughs> so, I mean, that, not necessarily recommending that, but my recommendation would be to get a wireless mouse or it, I even have three just because um, I'm often on the go with a laptop and I, I can't use a trackpad. So I've got like two yeah. or three wireless mice just in different bags ready to go if I'm heading out because I need to have a mouse. I can't I can't be dealing with, you know, a touchpad on a on a computer. Yeah. Don't don't use a touchpad for game dev. Just spare no. yourself that pain. <laughs> okay, I want to move on to the second hardware thing um that I think is maybe a little bit more expensive, but it's good value for money in terms of productivity. And that is a second monitor. A second monitor, I mean, increases your productivity in pretty much anything you do on the computer. But uh, in the specific game dev sense, there's so many uses for it. it I, I used to do game dev only on a laptop. And uh, I just thought of like the two things that improved my productivity the most. And a second monitor really opened up the new door. I mean, you can do everything. You can, while you're drawing art, you can look at concept art and the other thing. And just having to like move your head slightly is so much better than to have to have like two different tabs open or constantly switching between the two. Um, sometimes I'll have the like Unity manual in one monitor and have my code in the other. Um, sometimes I'll have chat <laughs> from Twitch in one monitor and while they tell me how bad my code is in the other. And yeah, I like to have tutorial. I mean, it's just got so many uses. Um, I think a second monitor, although it can be a little bit expensive, um, there's a lot of deals going on around Black Friday. Do they have Black Friday in the UK? Yeah. Yes, that's like that's definitely something. It's definitely something we've imported, and it's it's a bit funny because we don't celebrate Thanksgiving over here. So I know Black Friday is the day after Thanksgiving, but we don't even have that. So we just have Black Friday deals starting two weeks early, and just it's more like Black Friday season. It's, yeah, it's just a complete okay. free-for-all. Like, Black Friday deals are, like, three. you know, shops start doing them, like, two weeks early, and they run for weeks. And then we've got another thing called Cyber Monday, which is, like... Yeah, we the, have that, the, too. It's, yeah. No, so other than Prime Day and Black Friday and, like, the, the post-Christmas January sales, like, that's, that's our main shopping holidays over here. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good time to get a monitor either way. Um, and a second monitor is super helpful. For sure. And I'd say just starting off, it doesn't matter what the second monitor is. It just yeah. it instantly improves your productivity. Right. So, I mean, by the time you're really investing in your setup, you probably want to get multiple monitors by the same um, company and probably of a similar size. So I have three monitors. They're all Dell, but annoyingly, they're all slightly different models and sizes. So yeah. they're really good and they work really well. And I recommend getting monitors from the same company because you can tell the difference when you're looking at them. But at the same time, I also think it can be useful to have a good monitor and a bad monitor, if that makes any sense. Yes. So having like, for example, a laptop plugged into a even a small TV screen that's no longer being used or something like that, it gives you the extra space to spread out your workflow and be more productive. And actually having a less good screen as well, kind of, it makes you look at what you're working on from a design point of view in a slightly different way. Yes, I, absolutely. I often find like um, when I'm dealing with like really subtle color changes, especially in like the white, black, gray color spectrum, 
you could be working on something really intricate and then look at it on a not great monitor and it just all becomes white it just all the detail disappears because of the color balance or the, the you know the quality of the monitor so actually having a good monitor and a bad monitor it kind of helps you not to fall into like um I mean, this is a very specific option, like when you're doing like design stuff, but like it helps you to not all of your users are going to see the same thing you see on your monitor. Like they might have a badly configured monitor. They might have a really right. yellowy monitor. So, you know, just seeing it slightly differently. While I would recommend like, you know, invest good money in this because in the long term, it's really going to help you out. Even like that first initial, like, I'm just going to get this crappy old, you know, computer screen or even tv that i had in college or something um and just plug it into my laptop it speeds things up dramatically that's exactly it's funny you say that my second monitor is actually the tv i had in college it's like a little flat screen <laughs> i mean you you probably can't see it but i've got my old tv in bubble wrap yeah. behind me in a box uh, i'm not using it right now but it's around. there yeah <laughs> no i can yeah agree. i i think you're absolutely on point um if you're if you're going out to buy your first second monitor, it's it's totally fine to go with something like cheap. It doesn't have to be a perfect, you know, 1080p or 4K or whatever they got these days. Um, yeah, it's it's totally fine. You'll get the base productivity increase by just having anything that can display pixels. Yeah, and you kind of get the added benefit of like you said, um, you kind of get to look at it in a different context or perspective. So yeah. The only other thing I'd say as well would be um, be a bit creative. Like I have one of my monitors in portrait mode, um, which is quite common for programmers, but it means that when I'm writing code, I'll have that in portrait mode and I'll be able to see a lot more code on a mm. narrow screen, um, which can also be helpful if, for example, in Unity, you want to like undock your hierarchy or your editor or your, you know, be creative with how you're using the real estate. It doesn't always have to be landscape monitors. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about that. Um, both of mine are just in landscape, but now maybe I'll have to get one of these vertical. I mean, it's, uh, I'm not sure how standard it is, but my Dell monitors, when I bought them, they just came with a stand that rotates. So I literally just mm. twist them around and change the settings on my computer and hey, presto, a portrait screen. Man, I knew I brought you for a reason. You have all the cool. <laughs> Anyways, for my third hardware thing, uh, this thing's uh, pretty quick. I'm not sure there's much to say on it. I think it's just a straight-up upgrade. Uh, it's extra RAM for your computer. I remember when I first built my, my computer that I have now, I only had 8 gigabytes RAM. And uh, when I had Unity and Blender open, for instance, it was extremely, extremely slow. Uh, very sluggish. If you're going to have two monitors, but you can't take advantage of having both something like Unity and um, Blender open in two different screens, then, you know, what's the point? Mm -hmm. So I think if you're looking for other hardware upgrades, I think a quick and easy one is more RAM. Yeah, and it, of all the things in your computer to upgrade, it's the cheapest and quickest. You can get yeah. extra RAM for maybe 50, 60 bucks, maybe 100 bucks, depending on what you're looking for. And you just, you open the side of your computer, you take the old one out and you slot the new one in. There's no screws, there's nothing. It's really simple to do. All right, yeah, and I feel like I've been talking a lot and now we're going to move on over to the digital things. And I know you brought a lot of digital goods from your, your box of things. Um, so why don't you take a look in your box? <laughs> let me just, let me just have a look what I've got in here. 
I want everyone to know he literally has a box of things and he's he brought it to the recording. He's like, look, I got special effects. Well, you know, this is why they pay me the big bucks. All right. Um Yeah, yeah, and I guess what is the first thing? We're moving on over to the digital goods you could buy. What is what is number one on your list? So number one is actually one that I don't currently own because it's the top of my wish list for um, Unity Store assets. And it's an asset called Rewired. Um, Okay, I don't think I've used this one before. Cool, and I think I've I've heard people talk about it before um, and people might confuse it with just another input system for Unity. For those who aren't familiar with Unity, there's already several input systems and a lot of debate over which one is best and why. Um, And so it's not necessarily that. It's not switching out another input system, but it's actually, um, it's native input control support for a lot of different platforms. And so it goes a little step further than what Unity does. And it actually supports a bunch of different platforms and controllers and everything in a really neat and wonderful way. And I guess the simplest way of distinguishing it is that in Unity, the input system, it has support for all the different controllers you might think, but Unity doesn't really tell you what's going on and with which. So for example, um, you could have different joysticks or analog controls or horizontal and vertical controls, but it's not like Unity goes or makes it particularly easy for you to know, okay, so on an Xbox controller, it's like this, or on a PlayStation 4 controller, it's like this. Whereas I think what Rewired does is it very specifically goes into the details of the different consoles. And also one of the biggest things that I've been trying to get working in a game that I'm working on is um, control switching. So you might have seen in lots of video games, um, it might have support for a controller uh, or for the keyboard. And so when you put your controller down and you start using your mouse or your keyboard, all of the input UI on the game suddenly switches from telling you to hit X or triangle and Mm. switches over to hitting, oh, hit A or B now. Um, And I think that rewired makes it really easy to take these kind of input... um, events from the different controls that are supported and makes it easy for you to support them in your game yeah Um, that's that's super that's a super underrated change um because otherwise right you'd have to you'd have to uh figure out what the controller is every time you like you'd write the code to figure out what the controller is figure out what the map thing the mapped button is even if it can i don't know if unity's default input system can know like does it know the difference between or is it just a general uh, I think it is possible, but from what I've done my research-wise, it's, it's quite difficult to figure it out yeah. exactly. You're making a lot of annoying. assumptions. Yeah, right. And at 45 bucks, I think it's it's a very cheap way of meeting that need, um, especially as it'll also come with loads of quality of life improvements, like um, creating different um, kind of input modes almost um, yeah. for, like, let's say you're in a menu scene, uh, buttons might do a certain thing or if in-game buttons might do a slightly different thing and like, allowing you to switch between these uh, really well will help you um, just kind of clean up um, all of your input controls rather than having to always be checking, well, if he's pushed A, what does A currently do? Or, you know, what does this do now? Right. Yeah. That sort of stuff. I think, yeah, I think you're right. The words clean up is the perfect way of describing it because it can get really messy with Unity's default inputs um, sometimes you're using two different input methods because <laughs> unity for some reason has multiple input methods uh, it can get really messy especially if i'm coding it uh, 
Dan, can you talk a little bit about um, what you look for in a good asset on the Unity Store or maybe like what what's the qualification or the metrics that uh, gets an asset to be into your holiday box of assets? So I guess I could start with talking about the pros and cons for using assets in the first place. Um, because when you're starting out a project, it's good to know the kind of decisions you're making by installing assets early on. Um, and I've been giving this a lot of thought recently because I've been using quite a lot of assets in my projects to date, and I'm actually planning on starting to use a, a fewer assets, if any, um, on the next couple of projects. And so, I mean, obviously, the first, firstly, the pros for assets is that uh, it will absolutely speed up your development. Um, like, there's loads of things that maybe you don't know exactly how to do a certain thing or... You know, you don't want to build your own system for something that there's already pre-made solutions. It is way faster just to, to download an asset. A lot of them are actually free. Um, so you don't even have to, you know, open up the wallet to get all these benefits. But it will make, it'll speed up the development of your game in lots of ways. It'll give you tried and trusted solutions as well, which means often when you're, you're, try, you're, you're building something for the first time, you might not know exactly all of the things you need to do to make it work when you're starting out. Whereas... Um, asset store assets usually come, first of all, lots of people have used them, so there'll have been feedbacks and bugs found and the code will be quite good and there'll be lots of documentation. But also some it's, it's that security of knowing I can do this. And often as a game dev, you come into this thinking, I'm going to have a go, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get this working properly. Whereas with an asset, you know, it might not do everything in the world, but it's going to do certain things and they're going to just work. On the flip side, the problems that you can introduce by adding lots of assets is it will take you some time to learn how they work. So there's that initial investment where actually you're just having to read a lot or experiment a lot or, or make some mistakes or make some assumptions and, and figure out exactly um, what this thing that you're buying is actually going to do. You might invest a lot of time in something and then come to the conclusion that actually there's a particular way you want your game to work and this asset just isn't going to work that way. And I know, Zach, you can you can share about that a little bit in a second. I remember using yeah. a, a first-person controller in Bounce Shot and then just deciding this is not for you. You will do it yourself another way. But also there's just the, the, the big thing for me recently has been um, when you're buying assets from the Unity Asset Store, it kind of makes a decision about how many people are going to work on that game. Like if you're working in a team... I've read the terms and conditions recently, and basically you need to buy the asset for every member of your team. Um, otherwise, you're in breach of the terms of service because you are almost distributing the asset to other people in your team. Uh, so you kind of need to be a bit careful. Like you can't publish your code if it includes assets and um, collaborating with other developers becomes more expensive if you're going to be doing it, you know, 100% above board. Um because when you're buying a license, normally it's a, it's a one-person, single-use license. And there's not really a way of collaborating on a project without making sure everyone has those assets. Because if they're in the project, they're in the project. You can't separate them out. Yeah. It's a good thing that um, I'm a solo dev because that's the kind of thing I definitely would not have read. <laughs> and, <laughs> and sent out a, a project with assets in it. Um, to other people in my team. I think you're I think you're dead on for me the the bonus of assets 
is it does speed up things, right? And you don't have to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. If there's a good thing out there, the chances are that person who made it and polished it and put it on the store built it a hundred times better than I ever could. And so um, not only is it faster, but it's also better for me in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Uh, but the problems, you're absolutely right. Four bound shot. Um, I, I used a first person controller and yeah, it just, the problem with that is it came with too many dependencies on other stuff, like how the game was going to um, be controlled or how the physics of the gun worked, which in bound shot were very important. And mm. yeah, I, I think for me, when I look for an asset, I look for how helpful it's going to be, right? How much am I going to use it? I, I look at the, the price to uh, usability ratio, I guess, or whatever. Um, if it's something that costs a lot of money, but I'm going to use it a lot, then I kind of think like, oh, okay, this is like saving me, you know, 50 hours of work. Then, you know, if it costs $100, 50 hours of work is is really good. But you also have to look at the dependencies and how, I call it how clean an asset is, Um if it comes with like a bunch of dependencies on other stuff, whether that be how your game controls or maybe you need other assets to make this one work, uh, I don't like that actually. And I, I stopped looking at assets that, um, I stopped buying assets that have dependencies outside of it. I, I like an asset that is all self-contained. And it should go, uh, I guess we should mention that assets can mean a couple different things. Um, in the sense that we're talking about it right now, it's kind of systems and, and things that are, are built. Yeah, I guess features and stuff like that. But you can also buy like art assets and sound packs and stuff like that. And those are always pretty much self-contained. Those are really good value for money, as long as you don't mind using something that might be used in another game. But I've, I've talked about that before, how uh, like if you bought coffee cups to decorate the desks in your in your game... Is someone really going to like look at the coffee cup and say, hey, I saw this in a different game, you know, and start with the lazy dev, I don't know, reviews and hate and stuff like that. I'd add to that. I, I didn't uh, look towards any kind of art or sound packs or even model packs for this, specifically because those sorts of things are really specific to a particular project or a particular thing that someone is working on. Um, yeah. So I went with things that have got more reusability across several projects and like to have long-term gain for you as a developer rather than, you know, will be really useful for this one particular game I'm making. Right. Art, art and sounds is probably something you gift to yourself. Yeah. Uh, it'd be hard to gift it to someone else's project unless you really know their project. Yeah. I really think that you should do a zombie project soon. So I got you this zombie art pack. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... My game is a cooking game. <laughs> like, oh, zombie well, here, cooking! We've got, a, we've got a moneymaker here. Yeah. All right, Ian. Well, why don't you get into your next uh, thing on your list or in your box of goods? Um, and I see, yeah, reach into the box. It's deep in there. Uh, I see that it is a thing that I've actually bought recently and imported to my latest project. Oh, what is it? It's feel. I, it's feel. I don't know. Sorry, I don't know if your list is the same list as mine, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That, that's exactly right. And um, feel is, I would say it's a juice tool for your games. It's made by uh, a company called More Mountains, and they have they a bunch make of the, other assets. Sorry, I don't mean to jump in, but they make the like top-down 
engine and the corgi engine and stuff like that don't they exactly yeah yeah um and it's basically i mean i'll just do a quick history lesson on that because i find it really interesting it's basically a particular developer called renault uh who is from canada who um he worked for i'm not i'm not going to name drop here he worked for a big studio for a while and he's been most of his career has been doing rapid prototyping so his job is basically think of lots of really fun games build quick prototypes of these games and then send them over to the the rest of the cup studio for them to be decided whether it's a it's a good idea to make a full game out of or not and so he's been using some of the expertise that he's gathered um, into making tools that make on one hand prototyping really quick but also just make it really accessible for you to build certain kinds of games whether that's um, endless runners or top-down games or platformers or whatever and he's built a vast I mean, he is so productive. He's built a vast array of tools um, for make, just making whole games out of nothing but just dragging and dropping assets um, backwards and forwards and, and really writing very little code. Um, so I wasn't going to go with a full engine of his because, again, that's very much decided that if you want to make a platformer, then this is a good idea to use Corgi engine or if you want to make a top-down puzzle game or something, then use some of the other ones. Um, but Feel is one of his assets that actually comes included in all of his other assets because he just uses it for everything and it basically is it's it's adding responsiveness to your game and juicing it up and whether that could be animation that could be camera effects or post-processing it could be sounds or particles or shader or ui but it's basically taking what you've already made in your game and making it pop and feel satisfying and juicy and the asset is really, really versatile for doing stuff like that and grouping effects and layering effects and triggering effects. It's um, it's really useful. And it's it's normally 40 bucks, but it's currently on sale for 15. I'm not sure if it will still be by the time this episode airs, but, you know, it's it's well worth the money because it just kind of... It, te- it it comes with so much demo content as well, like just working your way through all the demos and seeing how he creates special effects and how he layers them and how they look really nice. It just kind of um, really gets the creative juices flowing for how you could improve your game. And I think that's also brings me to another point that I missed earlier with why assets are good. It's there's only so much creativity that you can think of on your own. But actually, when you come and look at assets and dissect them, there's so much you can learn about coding or structuring assets or building out scenes from other people with a lot of experience that actually, even if you, you know, if you just dissect this asset and look into it and decide, oh, it's not for me, you probably would have learned a lot of things about ways that you can build games and you can structure things that you might not have thought of before. Yeah, I I think um, it's really interesting that you you bring that up. That's kind of a hidden benefit that I hadn't thought of till you said it just now, but you're absolutely right. I've learned so much from dissecting assets from the store and I don't know, learning from people who are more experienced. And I guess the people who are putting their systems and features and stuff like that up on the asset store are probably some of the most experienced just because, you know, it's got to be perfect for it to be up on the store. I mean, it's got to be something that everyone can pick up relatively easily. It's funny that you said the the creator um, comes from like rapid prototyping. Uh, I think that just shows like that's where you build a lot of expertise. And just by using this field tool, I've just recently implemented it into my project. But I think a juice tool is exactly the right words for it. Um, It's it's super easy to implement. 
uh, I've got screen shake going in like, in like five minutes. So, yeah. um, and, and not just like, you know, basic screen shake. I mean, screen shake where I can be in control of every single thing and layer other additional effects on top of it. And it's not going to take that long. So yeah, I, I think feel, especially for $15, which by the way, we're not sponsored by any of these people, or at least I'm not, I don't know <laughs> if they contacted Yan. <laughs> We're, you see, some of, these, some of these assets are so good, they don't need to sponsor me. No, like, they don't. They sell yeah. themselves. Yeah. Feel is is one of them. So I guess we'll move on to the next asset, and I'm going to actually uh, do this one. I, I noticed that a lot of our um, assets are Unity-specific, so I apologize to the other um, devs out there. I do have one that is not Unity-specific here. Uh, it's more of a tool. But uh, if you're interested in doing pixel art for your games... I think you have to have a sprite. Um, I guess you don't have to have it. There are other free things out there. I've, I've talked about Pisco before. But a sprite, if you're going to pay for a pixel art tool, get a sprite. You can get it on Steam. I wonder if it's on the Steam Winter Sale. I don't think the Steam Winter Sale has started yet. But yeah, a sprite, it's the best pixel art tool. Um, it's what all the best pixel artists use on the internet. So when you go look at tutorials, they'll be using a sprite. Uh, there's not much more to say about it other than, yeah, it's like, like we just said, it's not something that needs a sponsor. Uh, just by word of mouth, everyone knows it's the best pixel art tool. Yeah, cool. I'll jump right on the back of the um, non-engine specific uh, tools there and uh, mention okay. something called Yarn Spinner. Okay. Uh, I don't think Aspart needs any more detail going into it. No. Nope. You, <laughs> um, and Yarn Spinner, I, I started off by thinking, oh, you know, what would be a really good asset for everyone is a dialogue system. Because if you're doing any kind of narrative, it really helps to have a well-worked-out narrative system, um, dialogue tree system, uh, and most engines come with these. But Yarn Spinner is kind of... It's kind of more of a format, uh, and it sits outside of the engine so it's it's a set of tools for for basically writing dialogue trees and um dialogue well dialogue trees and systems um outside of uh the engine without having to do the implementation but just writing it all down basically in text um but it also comes with a, a host of add-ons for different editors. So whether you're using um, Xcode or Visual Studio or whatever editor, there's probably an add-on to support it. It comes with a web editor, so you can actually just upload your text file to a website and then start building out your dialogue tree in a web browser and share it like that. Um, and it also comes with engine tools. For, for example, Unity, there's a free asset that you can use to, to pull it into your Unity games. And so I would really recommend Yarn Spinner. It's very simple, it's open, it's clean, uh, and it comes with a lots of option lo with a lot of options and a lot of configurability, um, which is one of the biggest things that I struggled with when I last built a dialogue system in Unity. It was that the tool I was using had a node-based editor, but there was just a lot around it along the lines of um, you know dragging the screen around and reordering or reconnecting nodes or making changes where it just felt heavy and clunky. Um, and I think once you get to a point with a dialogue tree where you've invested, invested a significant amount of time in writing it in one particular editor, it becomes almost impossible to switch to a different tool because you have to do everything again from scratch. Whereas I think something like Yarn Spinner, it actually gives you a lot of the freedom to, to write out your dialogue in, 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 a, in an open format and then implement it in whatever way works for you and your team. 
Yeah, it's it's got like that flexibility. And on top of that, um, think about it this way, like maybe you hire someone to do the dialogue. You know, creative writing is a skill that's really useful outside of game dev. Um, and you can have your dialogue writing person. Uh, they don't have to have game engine skills to go in and edit the dialogue. They can just use this yarn spinner thing, which I have heard. Um, that's kind of like a, a a widely used tool, right, Yan? Like, yeah. So yeah, I actually like heard if, I if heard, someone's um, a creative writer, they know what yarn spinner is, right? Yeah. Also, I, I heard it from some people who were working in Construct as their game engine. So, you know, it it'll work with most engines you're working with because it's not tied to the engine. Well, I think we should each do one more thing from our box. Uh, do you want to do the next one, Yan, and then I will finish up with one that I have? Sure thing. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, Easy Save, which I know you have in your box as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was hoping you picked that one. Yeah, Good. No, um, and maybe you can elaborate on this thing as we, we've both used this. Um, but it's basically, it's if you've used Unity for any kind of length of time, then you know that the default way of um, saving uh, settings or configuration or anything else um, kind of goes in the player preferences or the player prefs system. Um, and I recently did some digging into that when I was using it for one of my games. And it actually is, it's quite crazy how different builds in Unity store their player prefs differently based on the operating system. For example, in Mac and Linux, it gets saved as a file somewhere, uh, not in the same place, in a different place. Very helpful. Uh, in Windows, it goes in the registry, which has got nothing to do with files. Um, in websites, it gets stored as local browser cache, and I have no idea what it does in consoles, but it seemed to me like a really weird way of having a save system that is different depending on um, how the different systems are treating it. Um, and also when you're saving things, often you've got to deal with serialization and compression and loading and caching and all these other things, which Easy Save just does out of the box for you. You can save basically anything, whether it's game objects or prefabs, uh, music, pictures, configuration, text. It'll uh, You can deal with encryption, uh, compression to save file space. It even has settings for like uploading stuff to external servers. Um, and you'll be able to query like Amazon servers for the information. Um, it's a bit on the pricey side at 69 bucks, um, but I think for the reusability, I mean, I would probably get this for a game that just had some very complicated, I don't know, player data where you have like a progression system or something, or even whether you, if it has a big story, this will be really useful. But then once you've bought it once, every following game will benefit from you having a system for saving and loading data efficiently. Once you go to Easy Save, you're never going to go back to <laughs> the old way of, of saving. It's funny, yeah, and the way you mentioned that, um, how you do saves in Unity. I learned it two ways. I learned the player prefs way, right, which you use for saving settings like, uh, I don't know, like volumes and stuff like that. So when the player restarts the game, the volume is the same. And what some people say is, uh, well, okay, so for player prefs, you can not only save your volumes and settings and stuff like that, but you also could just put your player's like progression there. The The issue with that is that if the player knows where the the file save is, like in the in the computer, like you said, they can just go and edit the text file and, and give them whatever progression they want. Um, it's, it's an easy way to cheat 
by using the uh, player prefs to kind of manipulate the data within the game. So if you don't want to do it that way, which is Unity's built-in way, then you have to write your own uh, save and load system. And that can be kind of a pain, honestly. I have done it in the past. It's it's just full of, you know, I don't know, traps where you could mess it up. Easy Save just handles everything. It can do, it can serialize anything, which we didn't get too much into. But yeah, it, basically it makes saving things that are complex a lot more easy. It does like encryption so that your save data is protected so people can't cheat. And yeah, it's just, you're trust me, you're never going to go back once you buy <laughs> Easy Save. And again, we're not, <laughs> that sounds like I'm reading it off of like a ad copy, like they, they sent that to me. But I'm just telling you from personal experience, I, I have not gone back. I'm going to go into the last thing on uh, in my box of, of wintertime, Christmas time goods. Uh, I'm going to go and say that another good place to look for gifts is actually itch.io. And this is one where you kind of really have to know the other person's project, or maybe you're looking for something to buy yourself. Um, if you go to itch.io, and I think it's under game development, there are tons and tons and tons of especially icons and just like art asset packs and sounds uh, that you can buy. And because there are so many, I'm sure that you can find one that fits kind of your aesthetic. And they're often cheap, and you know they're going to, like, small-time devs. So, yeah, I think the the value is not only there for yourself, but you got to remember that you're supporting small-time devs as well, often on itch.io. Yeah, and do you have a favorite itch.io, like, graphics pack or anything like that? I mean, I have a favorite pixel artist on itch.io. Uh, oh, really? Shout out, shout out to Pixel Frog. Uh, I've used several of their Oh, yeah, packs. that's right. For uh, Tower Fender <laughs> and Editor. For Tower Fender, for Editor. They're fantastic. And uh, they're really creative. And actually, it, it's the kind of thing where you buy an asset pack and it just makes you want to make a game using those assets because they're fun. Right. It almost necessitates a game. Yeah. And also community shout out to Gerald Burke, who uh, has some assets. Uh, he's got one that's got keyboard prompts for if you want to have, uh, you know, tutorial prompts for, your, you know, using keys. That's really good. Yeah. Our very own Gerald Burke. Um, yeah. What's what's that asset called? Sorry, Gerald. We probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, wait, wait. I mean, oh, yeah. Gerald's, uh, Gerald's keys. That's what it's called. It was in my list the whole time. Uh, oh, I see he's put out a new version, too, a 3D version. Oh, I've not seen that. Okay, yeah. So if you look at Gerald's keys on uh, itch.io, uh, it's exactly what it is. It's pixel art for, for keys. Like Yen was saying, maybe you want a thing that comes up on the screen that says, like, press the shift button for this or shift Q. That's kind of a weird thing that maybe you wouldn't already have art assets for. Uh, and you don't have to go make your own. Gerald's already got them out there. And I think... What's the price on this? Is it pay what you want? Yeah, it's name your own price. So you could have it for uh, whatever price you feel it's worth. Yeah, and I find myself doing that a lot where I'll, I'll get some free assets. And if, if the quality is, is so good that I just, I, I can't help myself, I'll go back and I'll send a, a, a donation back to the artists. And I know that itch doesn't take any cuts unless the creator wants to give a cut. So you know that you're really supporting indie devs when you're using itch.io. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I figured, um, 
you can't go wrong with a holiday shopping spree uh, on itch.io. All right. I think that's going to do it for our uh, Christmas shopping list for game devs. Maybe this should be a reoccurring segment, yeah, maybe every year. <laughs> it depends on yeah, how sure. people like it. Maybe next year we can get some sponsored stuff. And yep. <laughs> I'll start uh, yeah, I'll start asking around. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I really want a new gaming chair. So th- th- this right. year I recommend yeah. you get your gaming chair from Herman this Miller or that company. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll reach out to Herman Miller and ask uh and then next year I'll be convincing you guys why you need an eight hundred dollar you gotta have it, an eight hundred dollar yeah. computer chair. Anyways, Jan, do you wanna tell people uh maybe what's going on with you uh in the upcoming I don't know, going into next year? Is there anything people should be following you along with? Well, I mean, people should definitely be joining the community Discord and uh getting involved with some of our community projects. So we've, uh, I'm sure people have heard in previous episode announcements, we've been doing a level design competition, which has just been super fun to work on. Um, and so we need to kind of sit down and uh, iron out the details. But there's been a lot of appetite for a open community project for tw- 2023, where we could build a similar game for next year's level design competition, if it makes a comeback. Uh, and I really like the idea of um, managing a community project where, you know, anyone can join in and, and take part in building a game that then ends up getting played by the community as well. So um, I've got a lot of appetite for that. Uh, at some point, I need to get Tower Offender published, so I'll be trying to find some time to do that. But yeah, so 2023, I think... Uh, is going to be a year where I try and focus a little bit less on what I want to do and a little bit more on seeing if I can collaborate with other people and do kind of like some joint effort projects. I can confidently say, Ian, that uh, the level design contest will be back next year. Um, It's just gotten too much. I mean, it's maybe the biggest event we've done as far as the Game Jam stuff has ever happened. It's gotten really good feedback yeah, I'm, I, it's still open, by the way. So if anyone wants to go make a level using Editar, which is a level designer that Yen made himself, uh, yeah, definitely go check it out. There's tons of info on our Discord on how to do that. There'll be an open invite link in the show notes for the Discord. And yeah, if you'd like to get uh, involved in maybe building the the next level designer, whatever it's going to be, I would reach out to Yen on Discord. Yeah, yeah, and I'll let you head up the whole project. Um, <laughs> King <laughs> of delegation. Know, <laughs> it's too advanced for me, so I'll just let you uh, head it up. And maybe we should get you like a, a personal channel for that on the Discord. That way you can kind of manage it all there. So, yeah, look forward to that in 2023. As far as for myself, I'll have some big announcements in the next main episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I uh, don't have anything really to spoil for you now just yet, but yeah, just uh, there'll be one more main episode before the Christmas break. And yeah, tune into that for some big announcements as far as what I'm doing for 2023. I guess that's going to do it uh, for us today. Yeah, and thank you for joining me again. Um, thanks for all the work that you did with the community this year. I guess I've never really thanked you, uh, but yeah. I, Thank you so much for all the stuff you've done for our community. I mean, it basically does not grow as big as it has or run as smoothly as it has. Uh, if you don't contact me about building that bot all that time ago. 
No problem. I've had a great time. All right. I guess happy holidays, everyone. Yen, do you have any closing remarks? I did not bring my jingle bells, so Oh, no. man. Don't worry. I'll, I'll put them in right here. <laughs> You'll put them in. Great. Sweet. All right, everyone. I, uh, yeah. Happy holidays, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. You can imagine the Christmas music right here or something. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle bells. Yeah, there we go. Wait, that's copyright, isn't it? <laughs>